It's good to have all you young people here today. Remind me of when I was your age. Tiny, small, wide-eyed, open to receive and learn. Let me tell you, young people, the time that you're spending here today is probably the most important time that you can spend. You have two parts that you don't even recognize or realize. We concentrate a lot on our body, but it's our spirit and our soul. Those two things that are eternal, that live inside this body. And when you come and you hear about Jesus Christ, you begin to grow spiritually, especially when you ask Jesus to come into your heart. And you know, you may not have this big old sin uh, record on your account right now, but when you realize that you need Jesus and you ask him to come into your heart, sweet Jesus, and you say, Lord, I want you to come in. Something happens in your spirit. is called being born again. And it's immediately connected to God because of what Jesus did on the cross. And the greatest thing you can do as your parent to nurture you and bring you to church, the greatest thing you can do is develop this relationship with Jesus Christ. In the way how, and how you learn uh, in Sunday school classes and uh, every time you hear about the Lord in the songs that you listen to, in the prayers that you pray, and even taking, picking up the Bible, maybe reading an NIV children's Bible, as you begin to take in the Word of God, you as a small young person are really developing your future and your potential like nothing else will develop you. Inside of you, God has put dreams, desires, and goals. Your parents are going to help nurture who you are and who God wants you to be. They may, may not do a perfect job, but if you have parents that are bringing you to church, they are doing a great job. No person is perfect, but as we come to the house of the Lord and learn, God grows us up. In Hebrews, it says that the world was made by things that don't exist. And even as you grow, and maybe even in your classes now, they're telling you that you came from uh, an ape or you came from a little one-cell animal. I tell you, God made the one-cell animals, but God created man. And you need to know no matter what you hear, no matter what tries to trade to, to teach you and give you a, a, a different thinking or a, or a knowledge about life, you need Jesus Christ because the spiritual life is where everything comes from. And so I just want to encourage you today to be open and listen to what's said. You may not understand everything, but tune in to what is happening down in here, deep down in our heart, down in our spirit, not our physical heart, but in, in the center, this area is where our spirit is. And you have ears. And through Jesus Christ, those ears begin to open up and you hear different things than your natural ears, ears speak. At times, even as young people, because even as we read the Bible, we see that young people heard from God. We understand that Samuel, as a little boy, heard the voice of God. And when he heard, he began to respond in his heart. And he began to develop this incredible relationship with God that changed his whole life, even up through his adult life. And he found himself, as he grew up as a man, he found himself serving God and using God's voice and what he heard to speak to people that would bring hope and encouragement to a nation and to a world that needed God. Now, we have been talking about an inheritance and going into the land. And you young people, I don't know what you've been hearing at Kids Church, but I don't know if you've been talking about getting an inheritance. Some of you young people are going to have a great inheritance from your, from your parents. God has blessed them. They're going to maybe leave you money for college. They're going to leave you maybe some finances. You already have their looks. You already have the genes going on and that you're being developed in, in how uh, you think and uh, how they're raising you. So you have a lot of inheritance you're already experiencing. But God has a greater inheritance for you. God has an inheritance going to affect your life now on earth, but it's also going to affect your eternity. 
especially as you learn to follow Jesus, as you learn to have this relationship with God through him. But since we've been talking about inheritance, we've also been talking about tests and trials and things that go on. And really speaking to you young people, again at the beginning here, uh, when your parents ask you to do something, you, you have this resistance inside that says, I don't want to do it. I want to encourage you with the help of the Lord to start doing what they ask you to do. And when you want something and they're not getting it for you right away, thank the Lord. Because what God's doing through your parents saying no to you, he's starting to develop a character. He's starting to develop your will and your soul that you're not going to get everything that you want. But if you trust in God and if you rely on him, if you ask and then trust your parents and trust in God how you ask, that if it's not going to hurt you and it's going to be your benefit, God will grant it to you at the right time. So that will help you learn to adjust to the disappointments in life. There is a generation right now who are so spoiled that they can't hear no from anything or anyone. But I tell you, you're a new generation. You're a generation that God is going to breathe on and be influenced by, and you are going to walk in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, and you're going to bring to this generation uh, an acknowledgement that there is a God, and He's not dead like we've tried to relegate Him to in our philosophies and the way we've done decisions as a country. But there is a God, and you are going to represent Him in a most powerful way as you keep growing in Him. So I have an opening prophetic scripture I felt like God gave me yesterday. I always love how the closer I get to Sunday, it's like everything starts downloading. And this is Psalms 41. It's not on the PowerPoint. And it's Psalms 41, 8. No, actually, I want to do... See, what did I write down? Yes, 8 through 10. And I'm reading it out of my new favorite translation, The Amplified. Thank you, Linda, for the plug. But you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I, the Lord, have taken from the ends of the earth and have called from the corners of it and said to you, you are my servant, I have chosen you and not cast you off, even though you are exiled. You know, as God's trying to give us an inheritance, and we see all those things come against that inheritance, our soul begins to feel like we are in exile. And if you're going through any kind of sifting, testing trial right now, you could feel like you are exiled from the promises of God, the blessing of God, and all the goodness. And I'm telling you, Satan and your soul are going to tell you, God's word is not true, and God has abandoned you. Here's verse 10. Fear not. There is nothing to fear, for I am with you. Do not look around you in terror and be dismayed. For I am your God, I will strengthen and harden you to difficulties. Yes, I will help you. Yes, I will hold you up and retain you with my vigorous, victorious right hand of righteousness and justice. Again, what we may go through is to harden us to difficulties. Because really, what did Jesus say? In this world, you're going to have trouble, trials, difficulties, testings, siftings. Everything is going to get thrown at you because the enemy of our soul, Satan, the unseen God of this world, is trying to destroy our faith. And so he's going to come at the very promises that God gives you. He's going to come at the very hope that you've experienced in Jesus Christ and even promises from the past. There will days when God so profoundly speaks to you that you will know that God is telling you something and you know it's going to come to pass. And then the next day or the next moment, you're going to feel like you didn't hear from God and it's not going to happen. 
And don't get discouraged. Again, whatever hardness you're going through, it's God is strengthening your soul, strengthening your character to have a deep-rooted faith that cannot be shaken by the attack. And I just want to say this. There's something on my heart. I want to encourage you men. You guys are incredible. You carry the burdens of responsibility. You work. And some of you single parents and, and, and single moms are doing the same thing. And, and you've kind of carried uh, or taken on a man's mantle. But I want to encourage you in whatever state you are, especially men or, or women who are in this place, that God wants to bring great encouragement to you. You men, you are bombarded by all these different weights of responsibility. The biggest thing probably is finances, to bring money into your family. All these are used by the enemy also to distract you from your greatest, most biggest responsibility, and that's your dedication to God. That's your ability to walk with him no matter what. That even though t time would demand, circumstances and crisis would demand, that you are going to spend time with God. That you are going to be determined to be a man of God because you have an influence on your family. And if you're not influencing them for the kingdom, there's going to be a day when you're realizing they don't have any care about the kingdom of God and they're going to go their own way. I tell you, the enemy is trying to steal our generations. And men, the enemy is trying to steal our authority by having us just let our families do what they want. It's time to have some family meetings and say, you know what? We're not doing this right. We've got to be committed to the Lord. We've got to be committed because there's an attack in our generation. There's an undermining in our society of everything that's godly and good and everything that's going to see the Holy Spirit work in our lives. And unless we commit to God, unless we commit to the responsibilities of the people he's giving us, we are going to let a generation fail. And we will have nothing but regret when we see our families going off doing things that are not profitable for them spiritually, that are not uh, ensuring that they are, are building their inheritance in an eternal kingdom that's going to last forever. That was my preamble. The title of my message, it's in your bulletin, and I kind of did it briefly, The Inheritance of Grace. And I want to talk just a few minutes about, you know, lifting our head. There's nothing of like discouragement, disappointment, unfulfilled prayers, unfulfilled uh, just things in our life that cause us to hang our heads. I was sitting on the couch yesterday, and Dory said, why aren't you looking at me? Why aren't you looking at me eye to eye? And there's times I'm just feeling down, and I don't want to look her eye to eye. Because when I look someone eye to eye, there's, there's a demand for honesty and openness. And I don't always feel honest and open. In fact, this week I felt really down. In fact, when I went into the intercessors this Thursday, uh, I was challenged by the word uh, at our MFI conference a couple years ago as, as I just submitted so, to some pastors. They said, if you will submit to your intercessors what you're going through or what you're facing, God will, will deliver and strengthen you. And so I was really honest with them. I said, I really have a bad attitude right now. I really have a bad attitude. There are times when I, I'm going in to uh, let them pray for me, and I don't even want to be there. That's just being honest. But knowing where I get attacked and knowing where I get discouraged helps me keep bringing my soul through difficulties when my soul's not happy always serving God. But as I bring it in and I submit it to a group of people who are praying for me, in, a, in like a few moments after I confessed that, it lifted. It broke off. There was constant resistance to us doing anything spiritually. Did I want to go out Wednesday night? No way. I didn't want to go out in the neighborhood Wednesday night. I have the same resistance as every other person has. I have intimidations with personalities and temperaments and emotions and everything, and I don't necessarily want to be around people. But 
Look at the job he's given me. I have to keep stepping into the difficulties of what my emotions tell me and get into that place where I'm doing what God wants. And that's what strengthens me in my character and strengthens me in my will. And then I had a great time. Once we started walking, I had this excitement. I got to go with Judy. Judy was so effervescent and exciting as she shared with people and knocked on doors. And I got to talk to a few people. But when I was done, that was, we're gone probably less than an hour. The overcoming joy that I have had since then because we went out in, in faith. We prayed in faith. We believed. We, we were extending. We were getting out of our comfort zone. We've been talking about inheritance, and I, and I said two weeks ago, God is our greatest inheritance. And the inheritance he, he, it, that is his, the inheritance was given Jesus Christ, is more people. And since we're in his family, and we're buying into the will of God, we realize God wants to extend his family. God wants our enemies to be in God's family. That's why he stresses us to forgive and walk in love and to deal through our, our issues and our attitudes. Why? Because people are constantly changing. And if I don't let go of my hurts and my attitudes, the very person I'm having anger out or, or reason to be resistant could be getting saved and getting closer to God than me. And am I going to die in my bitterness? Am I going to die in my unforgiveness? So we're under this constant place of looking at ourselves repenting and asking God to change us, and then submitting ourselves to do the will of God. I'm so glad that you guys come every week because I know you're tracking with this hard gospel I'm preaching. I'm just preaching the word of God. I'm not coming in and telling you how wonderful you are and God's just going to give you billions of dollars and you're not going to have any problems. All your kids are going to grow up and be healthy. You'll never have another accident. Jesus loves you. No, I'm telling you, we're going to have trials and tribulations. I'm telling you, the enemy wants to steal your faith. I'm telling you, there is going to be things that overwhelm you. But I tell you, you have a God and it's through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit that's going to come in every crisis, come in everything that you're dealing with and show up and get you through. And you're going to come through stronger. You're going to come through, yeah, I wish I didn't go through that, but I'm through it and I am stronger and my faith is stronger and I know who my enemy is and he's not taking advantage of me. So our first scripture, wow, I'm slow today. Psalms 24, 9. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Again, we hang our heads. It's a natural thing. We're so easily attacked and bombarded by everything. Even as you grow older, I hate to tell you, even as you grow older, it's going to be a little harder. You can't do everything you used to do. You're not even looking as young you used to look. You want to just, just lay on the couch all the time. And yet you don't want anything you eat to go into calories and put weight on you. When you go walking, you have to, you have to rest for a day because you're too tired out. <laughs> so lift up your head. There's going to be something that pulls our head down. There's going to be something that causes us to drop our head. He said, lift your heads. Oh, ye gates, lift up your heads, you everlasting doors. Why? The head is the gateway. The head could be shaken. Calamity. News. One minute good news. Ah! One minute bad news. Ah! Oh. My head's up. My head's down. Oh, my neck. Why? It's going back and forth. Lift up your head. God wants to encourage us today. God is our encourager. The Holy Spirit is our encourager. Are you facing great opposition? Are you feeling down? Is your body hurting? I tell you, the Lord is your encouragement. The Lord is your strength. The Lord is the one that's going to lift your, your head again and again and again and again. And when the enemy slams your head down, lift it up again and look to the Lord. What did David say? He encouraged himself in the Lord. 
Over and over again, he faced difficulty. You're thinking, wow, God, you, call, you called him. He defeated Goliath and nothing but problems. Even, even from spiritual people, Saul trying to kill him. Come on, God, why don't you help him out? Well, what do you mean? I didn't let him kill him. Our idea of what God is going to do is so different than what he actually does for us. He wants us to keep getting up in difficulties. When we don't feel him, when we don't want to worship, when we don't want to come to a prayer meeting, get up and go to prayer. He is your strength. He is the one. I'd like to see this place in, in here where we pray. Say, it's too small. We got to pray in here at 9.15 on Sunday morning. Why? Because we so realize that we are vitally connected with God in our time here spent on Sunday morning or Wednesdays or this pre-service time is a time I'm getting an injection of strength. I'm getting an impartation of supernatural strength that's going to take me through what I have to face after church and all during next week. I tell you, the enemy does not take a vacation. You know, since the, since the fall of man, since the garden, since, since Satan fell, he has not taken a vacation. And it's understanding why, why Jesus and God says he never sleeps and God never slumbers. Why? There's an incredible spiritual warfare on every generation. All he has to work with right now is those of us who are right now living and breathing in this generation. And that's what God wants to use against the enemy. Us. I hope I don't feel like I'm screaming at you. I'm screaming at myself too. Why is your head hanging down? Psalms 42.5. Why, my soul, are you downcast? So maybe that's the first time, the first thing you need to do. Again, taking inventory, the more education we have, the more counselors we have to, we've got to check out what's going on. Don't let the busyness of life check you out and keep you from looking at where your soul's at. Every moment of indecision is a decision to backtrack and slide back. It's too much hard. It's too hard. It's too hard to backslide because it's so much ground you have to take back. It's better to catch yourself, deal with your soul, and move forward. Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Emotional, moral issues cause our head to be cast down. Our head, that represents the will of man. So easily, again, our thoughts can influence the decisions we make or the decisions we don't make. Isaiah 1.5 The whole head, Isaiah prophesied, is sick and the whole heart faints. The bombardment, the spiritual bombardment against our spirit makes us weak. It makes our whole head sick. Listening just a few minutes to the news, just knowing some of the decisions that were made last week that people are rejoicing over can make us sick and feel like, why, why do anything? Seeing people around you fall can say, why, why don't I just float downstream a little bit? Why don't I just give up for a while? Personal failure causes discouragement. Finances, relational losses, sin, Sins that we can't break. Strongholds that can't, we can't seem to get over. And what does the enemy say? You just can't be a good Christian. Why don't you just give up? Why don't you just trust that there's a little fire insurance going for you and when you cross the other side, you can just say, I just couldn't do it, Jesus. I couldn't get free. Psalms 119, 81 through 82, 86 through 88 kind of says this. My soul faints for your salvation, but I hope in your word. My eyes fail from searching your word. 
What is he talking about? He's talking about the real disappointments in life, the real disappointments and discouragements that happen. Proverbs 13, 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Emotional strain and physical illness, discouragement, cause a low-hanging head. Discouragement can come from not understanding the contradictions of life that assault our faith. Stephen was stoned and died. Peter was stoned and lived. James was arrested and beheaded, and Peter was arrested, then released. We try to understand why things happen, but life does not make sense. I think if you don't take anything out of my message today, but you take that, it's going to help you not to lean on your own understanding. Why does God do this, and why does he not do that? We have to know what God would do for us. We have to understand what the Word of God is to us. We have to understand what the prophetic revelation and promises are for us. Else we're going to be discouraged. We cannot inherit someone else's promises. But we must get a hold of ours. All right, I've been reading this book, like I've told you a couple weeks ago, about the chaplains in World War II. And it's interesting thinking about the way God does things, like, okay, why, why did you let James, you trained James for three and a half years, why did you let him get killed? I mean, come on, you're trying to build a kingdom here. My own understanding says, come on, God, let's, let's do this differently. All your people live, no one dies, everyone has victory, and then they go home at an old age, victory, males go on them, crowns on their head. It doesn't happen that way. James gets taken out. He was the first disciple that was martyred. And I was reading this story about these four chaplains, actually five, but four of them was on one troop ship, and it was like in back in the, when it happened in the mid-40s, it was known around the world. It was just really put out there in papers and everywhere. There were so few chaplains that were called into this horrendous war to try to cover Army, Navy, Marines, everyone. Why do you let these four guys on this troop ship die. They're sailing off. The captain comes on the Dorkchester and he said, we are in a heavy storm right now. The waters are really bad. We could capsize. I want everyone to put on their warmest clothes, their parkas, and a life jacket and lay in your bunks and be as restful as, and as still as possible. So after a few hours, the captain gets on the ship again and says, we've made it through these troubled waters and we're in calm waters now, but I don't want you to relax. I want you to still be ready because now we're entering the most devastating part of our journey where now we're the German U-boats, the submarine subpack is, and we are very vulnerable. There was over 900 men on this ship. 678 were troops going off to war and four chaplains. They ministered, they counseled, they did services during this time. And they waited. Well, early in the morning, just after midnight, they were torpedoed. And they had to abandon ship. The water was as cold as the air outside, the North Atlantic. And as the four chaplains stood on deck, the, the survivors, there was like 226 survivors, they said they saw these four men who had counseled, who had encouraged, and 
Some of them had even given, every one of them had given their life jacket to someone didn't, who didn't have a life jacket. But just before the ship went down, they saw these four chaplains, these four army chaplains praying <laughs> as they prepared to meet God. Then later, there, another chaplain wrote that uh, before, a few months before, one of the chaplains that was on this ship and another chaplain that was on another ship in the same convoy who got torpedoed also died. But they had like a prophetic word come to them three months before that they would be sunk. So two of these chaplains knew they were going to their death. So five chaplains died that same night. And you wonder, why, God? These are your men. There's going to be few chaplains as there is. Why? And I tell you, we have to get over asking why. And we've got to walk with Jesus. We've got to walk in that personal relationship with him. We have to sell out to him, whatever it is. You will only have grace to do the will of God. If you don't do the will of God, you'll be miserable. You might for a moment, remember that scripture I read a couple weeks ago? It said that, that God, gave them, God gave Israel their request, but he sent leanness to their soul. So there, there comes a time where, you know, God wants us to do, God wants us to follow him, but there's times when we say no. Just like, the, again, the rich young ruler, where he went away sad, but Jesus said how he loved him. Jesus will always love us the same no matter what choices we make. But the overwhelming depression and discouragement of our soul when we don't choose God, even in those times where we're not sure about God and, and our soul is afraid to cast its will over on God's side, our soul is looking for comfort. Our soul is looking for satisfaction. And yes, it'll try everything in this world, but it was made, it was made, first of all, to have the God element over it, that it might submit and find a place of rest. In this world, it will not find the rest that only comes from God. I wanted to talk just before we do our communion about the grace of God. In Genesis 4, 7 and 8, people on earth have become so evil. The Lord said, I will wipe away the face of the earth, the human race I have created, and with them the animals and the birds and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. But Noah found grace and favor in the eyes of the Lord. Do you realize every one of us here have found grace and favor in the eyes of the Lord? While we were sinners, he died for us. If no one else, if no one else would receive him, he, would, he died for us. I remember being eight years old and being moved on and then being nine and asking him to come into my heart. I didn't realize such a profound decision would bring such change in my life and such a different life than I would have wanted. The definition of grace from this Genesis scripture is kindness, favor, precious we are to him. It means to bend or stoop in kindness to an inferior. And that's what God does for us. Jesus became sin. He became all the sins that we are and all the shame that we carry. He became that. Why? So we wouldn't be under that weight. That we can enjoy the freedom of forgiveness. He also grants us incredible mercy in Psalms 84:11, our Lord and our God, you are like the sun and also like a shield. You treat us with grace and kindness and with honor 
never denying any good thing to those who live right. Romans 5.17 For if by the trespass of one man, Adam, he brought us into this problem, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one Jesus Christ? I'm hoping any of you who have shame will feel like after communion, it's gone. Where you realize, no matter what your mind or what your emotions try to register in the past or or your recent failures, even as of today, that you are free. That you have received the gift of righteousness. Why? So that you can reign as an overcomer in this life through the power of the Holy Spirit and the confidence that the righteousness you now carry, it's Jesus' righteousness. We need grace. The trials and the tests, and I'm in this place again as 61. I realize I'm going to face trials my whole life. I kind of had this uh, kind of a, like a stupid thought during my life that I would get to this place where everything's just going to be fine and I'm just going to sail. I had to slap myself. Where did I get that? That wasn't in the Bible. That I'm always going to be facing something. You know, just watching what our elders have gone through just in their physical body the last two and a half years. Wow. To go through things as we go, get older and to realize we're constantly going to be facing things that challenge our faith. You know, um, you know, sometimes you have, you see ads for things like if you buy this, like especially the infomercials on TV. If you buy this, you're going to get this free. When we bought into Jesus, we got the promise of eternal life. That means we're going to have a day where we are never going to have anything but joy and happiness. We will not have a day where our head is hanging down. We will not have a day of depression or discouragement. We will not have any more bad news coming our way. We will not be assaulted by any enemy. We will not be shamed. We will not suffer loss. We will not be humiliated. But that's not the whole package. Our added benefit is getting victory over those things now in our everyday lives. You young people who struggle maybe with bullies at school, the greatest time I I experienced God in growing in my faith was when I was facing in high school rat packs and people who wanted to take me out. I had to fight with fear and I clung on to my relationship with God and the word of God and he brought me through my, my senior year. So you're never too, yo- too young or too old to let God show you his grace. Our key verse today, maybe the ushers could, or our people who are doing the communion could start passing out communion. Ephesians 2.8, For it is by free grace, God's unmerited favor, that you have delivered, you are delivered from judgment and made partakers of Christ's salvation through your faith. And this salvation is not of yourselves, or of your own doing. It came not through your own striving, but it is a gift of God. Ephesians 2.8, again, out of the, just King James, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God. So God gives us the grace to accept him, and every day he gives us this incredible grace to live the Christian life, to say no to our flesh, to say yes to the cross, to say yes to the hard things where we want to give up and, and, and find an easier road. When we see everyone else having fun and doing things that we would like to do and we know God's calling us to a different place. Those are the hard decisions. 
growing up seeing people have fun and do things, and yet God seemed like he had me on a harder, different road. It was hard for me if I stopped and compared what other people were getting away with or doing. It was discouraging. But I tell you, you only have grace to be who you are and to follow Jesus in whatever he wants you to do. And that's where grace has its greatest reward, has its greatest fulfillment, and you feel the greatest favor and also the greatest peace. Ephesians 1, 7, In him, in Jesus Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Again, no one should leave here today haunted by any sin, haunted by anything they've done in the past. I don't care how many years of failure, how many years of, of being in sin or bondage. In Galatians uh, 5, 4, Paul is talking to people who are trying to use their own works to get saved. It says, you were trying to be justified by the law. You have been alienated from Christ and you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await for faith, the righteousness for which we hope. You know, we can fall from grace just simply because we've been doing good and all of a sudden we find we're, we've done wrong or we've done something that so shames us or so affects our thinking. Like, I'm supposed to be a Christian and I did this? Let it shake. Let it shake you to your core where you have to come back to that place of saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you died for me. Thank you I'm in a place, I need great grace. Thursday, going into the prayer meeting and having to tell them, I have bad attitudes. I'm the pastor. I'm supposed to be representing perfect attitudes. I needed God's grace. I constantly need God's grace. If you are going to determine to follow the Lord, the enemy is going to say, okay, you're going to follow the Lord. I'm going to do everything I can to make you not follow the Lord. And that's what we face. Shaking. In Hebrews 12, 25 through 29, just hold your elements. Go ahead and pass it out or you're already doing it. See that you do not refuse him, Jesus, who speaks. For if they, Israel at Mount Sinai, they're about ready to give the law. God was doing signs, wonders, and miracles. The ground was shaking. It's like every, if everyone did all the firecrackers we've been hearing at once, the mount was on fire. That's what the people were facing. No wonder they didn't want to approach God. They did not escape who refused him, who spoke on earth. Much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven whose voice then shook the earth, but now he is also promising yet once more, I shake not only earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. You have a deep taproot of faith. When you accept Jesus Christ, there's a deep faith that's imparted. But I tell you, everything is going to be shaken. Why? The, the shaking is really good because it's shaking everything that's going to keep you and distract you from God's highest calling for you and the greatest inheritance in the kingdom. So hang on. In the shaking, hang on. Say, thank you, Jesus, I'm being shaken. I can't see you. I can't feel you. I feel like giving up. I want to walk away. Jesus, help me. I tell you, those things were shaken in your worst moment. It can change and translate into a new moment where God's presence and grace is there and you've just broken out of something that would take you out of God's will and God's inheritance. Verse 28, therefore, since we have and are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Grace is the ability to do the will of God when we don't feel like doing it. I want to give you two more scriptures. 
I know time is going. Trials reveal our need for more grace. James 4, 1 through 6. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have. You so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask God, you do not receive because you ask from wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you not think the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace? And I felt like I wanted us to start our communion experience today of just the realization that we need more grace and that we would call on the Lord today for more grace in our lives. And each of us need grace in a different area for a different thing. And let's call on, let's just take some moments as we, as we pray and, and offer our heart. Maybe there are some areas where you need to ask for repentance. You, you know this area you're, you're involved with and you know it's wrong, but you're not doing anything. Begin to ask for repentance. Again, God's not asking you to have change of character, change of nature, change of behavior. He's asking you to come to him with whatever is holding on to you and asking for the gift of repentance. Again, that's the grace of God. He extends repentance to us. He extends a change of life. Lord, we come boldly before your throne today. God, some of us would not even want to lift our head today because of the places that we're in. God, the shame that we're under, even the battle that we wage. But we're asking for the gift of repentance. We're asking for the ability to change that only comes from your Holy Spirit. So we come, Lord, only on the authority of your word because it doesn't lie. And we're asking you for a grace. And Lord, just like Zechariah 12.10 says, that Lord, you give the spirit of grace. We call for a spirit of grace to fall in our congregation today. A grace that will move us your way. A grace that will set us free when areas that we are still holding on in bondage. A grace to live our life and, and to carry the cross that you've given to us. Lord, a grace to believe in you when everything says you're not there. God, we call on that grace today. God, we call on it in Jesus' name.